Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Thank you to the worship team. At this point, I invite you to open up your Bibles uh, to James chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 2. You can find that on page 1,880 in your Bibles. So we're going to be continuing in our series in James called Undivided. Uh, Last week, we worked our way all the way through verse 1. And today, we have a bit more of a challenging task of going through verses 2 through 18 And just spending time in this passage for the week has been a joy, uh, but it's also been a challenge because I feel like I got like six sermons and I want us to be out of here before noon. Uh, So we're actually just going to be focusing in on verses one through eight. Um, And I invite you to just read through the other passage, our parts of the passage and see um, how it relates to that because in um, James two through eight, Uh, James really sets up the whole of his book, and there's going to be reoccurring themes that we're going to be uh, dwelling in um, as we reflect on this passage. Let's come before uh, God's Word. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 18. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Those who doubt should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like the wild flower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms and falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Blessed are those who persevere under trial, because when they have stood the test of faith, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each of you is tempted when you are dragged away by your own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. 
he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, in my uh, research, kind of going through uh, the book of James, one of the things that I came across uh, was that Alcoholics Anonymous was almost called the James Club. Uh, it, it was a favorite book of one of the co-founders, and the reason why he loved it so much is because it had just such helpful things within it for the addicted person. He was taken by how practical it, it was. Just, just look at the passage that we just read through. It talks about patience, of enduring temptation. It, it speaks of seeking God's wisdom without doubting. He speaks of temptation as the enticement which turns into sin and finally death. And that's just in the, the first few verses it said that the, the earlier members of Alcoholics Anonymous actually preferred the name the James Club because of how central James was in their experience. When, when they would look at it, when they looked at James and passages like this, they didn't see a, a riddle to be solved. They didn't see um, a book just to be studied to, to get the knowledge out of it. They were people who loved and appreciated this book because they were challenged into living it out. They saw the immediate ways in which it was challenging them. The people who love this book are those who see how it speaks directly into our own lives and our own brokenness. From the addicted person's perspective, the opening of James shows this mirror in their own experience, James encourages them to see the trials that they are facing as something that draws them towards endurance, to perseverance, steadfastness, faithfulness. Now, for us to understand James, to get into James, we need to stand in that same tradition as Alcoholics Anonymous because the reason why it's uh, so helpful is they are seeing it in the same way that the original hearers were meant to see this. James is, is using a type of genre. He's, he's using wisdom literature here. And wisdom literature is not about the knowledge of the philosophies in the world. It's about uh, being the wise person who applies the right way of living in their life. The wise person is defined as knowing how to conduct life in conformity to God's law. Uh, there, there's a sense that there's, um, in Scripture, wisdom, literature, and, and biblical wisdom isn't just about uh, knowing how to live, but it's knowing how to live within um, how God created us to be. So what does the wise person look like in James chapter 1? I think it's helpful maybe to just start with a reminder of what we looked at last Sunday, that, that the wise person is undivided. Uh, so remember last week we had this, this image of the brain, uh, and we had two sides kind of representing thought and the other one of action. 
and the way that we were created, the way that we are meant to be is in wholeness, where thought and action are working together in singularity, uh, but often that, that splits, and these two can be working in competition. They, they, they are, there's not unity between the ways in which we are thinking and behaving. It's not working in harmony. This idea of wholeness and consistency that runs throughout James, I think is one of the reasons why um, people from Alcoholics Anonymous were so drawn to James. They nearly called themselves the James Club because they were, they were seeking that stability, that wholeness that James is encouraging throughout the entirety of the letter. Now, our passage for today begins in verse 2, where he says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, wherever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith, faith produces perseverance. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, um, it's likely, and maybe you're not so familiar with James, but you're like, I've heard that kind of line of reason before. Uh, it's a popular uh, memory verse from Romans. Romans chapter 5 phrases it quite similarly. Paul says, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. The idea that Christians are to grow through suffering, through our trials, through our tests, is something that's repeated in Scripture. It's mentioned multiple times throughout there. Yet sometimes Christians get this idea that if we're going through trials, if we're going through tests, that there's a sense that there's something wrong with us. People might assume that they're, ex- they're experiencing the challenge in their life, the suffering, uh, because God is judging them. That there's this negative connotation with having these tests and trials. But here, in contrast to that, we have the early Christians accepting that trials and tests and challenges are actually a necessary part of their growth. In, in theological terms, we-, we-, we have a word for this. It's called sanctification. Uh, sanctification is a word that describes that process of being formed more and more into God's likeness. And sanctification, the the work of God doing that work in us, is rarely, if ever, pain-free. When we face temptations and trials, the very essence of it requires effort. It requires challenge. Now, for the, for the sake of time, we won't go into all of the ways in which uh, James is using his language here, uh, but I do think we need to highlight this one word here of considerate pure joy. This is because our cultural definition of joy doesn't always match up very well with, with the biblical definition of joy. In our cultural understanding of what joy is, it's kind of associated with happiness, of kind of putting on a happy face. And if we read James saying, when you're going through something hard, when, when you're suffering, just don't let anyone know about it. Just put on a happy face and kind of smile your way through, then we're missing what James has to say here. Instead, um, joy is, from all accounts that I have seen, is meant to mean a settled contentment in every situation. 
Joy comes from the steady and thankful trust in God. Um, I've talked about joy in the past of, of a certain buoyancy. Um, we are upheld. We're not, um, we're not sunk down because we know that the God that we have our trust in holds us with a steadfastness. For the person going through trials, James says, consider yourself growing in your trust in God. James is inviting them to consider that their, their trials are actually part of their refining. It's bringing them into maturity. Uh, they, they are to practice clinging to God as the one who can bring them through, uh, the one that can actually transform them in the midst of their pain. Take a moment to consider just that, that first point, that trials and tests can have meaning in how they form us. I think often the only Christian response that we have for trials is trying to end them as soon as possible. Um, that, as Christians, sometimes the only way that we face a trial um, from our Christian mindset is saying, well, maybe God can just remove me from this. He can just pluck me out. But here, James doesn't give the advice to simply pray that God removes our trials, but to see how it enables you to grow into that maturity, into that steadfastness, into perseverance. So for those of us going through a test or a trial in our life, are you able to consider the way in which it may be part of God forming you into his likeness? Are you able to consider that it actually might be part of your sanctification? Moving on to verse four here. Uh, as we look at this, I actually want to show you something. As This is a sentence diagram it looks very complicated. It's something that we, we use often in Bible classes uh, when you're studying in Bible college or, or seminary. And um, if you don't understand it, uh, don't worry. It's just a way of breaking it down. Uh, usually people working with, with the Greek text uh, to, to break it into different literary units. And I just want to point out something um, unusual in James. If I were to do a sentence diagram in any of Paul's letters, you would not find this many exhortations. Um, this is three exhortations, three commands, three um, advices into living in four verses. Um, after James's introduction, he just gets right into it. He is saying, here's how you should live. He doesn't um, have these long statements about who God is and what God's grace is like. He says, all right, this is how we are to behave. And this is the type of pace that we might be able to expect as we go through James. So in verse, uh, well, in verse 2, we have that command, consider it pure joy. Then in verse 4, let endurance have its complete effect. And then verse 5, you should ask from God. We're being told what to do over and over again. James is calling us into action here. Let's jump into the verse four and kind of look specifically at the action that he is requiring. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that, it may be that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Essentially, um, 
don't set up any boundaries or barriers in finishing in perseverance. Because once you've developed that perseverance and this endurance, you're going to be in a place where you lack nothing. Um, I I like how the uh, New English translation um, translates this, so I'm just going to do a a quick comparison here um, in this passage, uh, because sometimes um, translators, like in the NIV, are translating the meaning of the text, uh, but they remove something uh, that I find really helpful in understanding the book as a whole. Uh, So the New English translation in kind of mirroring the style and the language of the Greek a little bit more closely, uh, I think highlights something helpful in verse 4. The NET translates it, and let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. And I draw up that that language of perfection because that's actually a common theme that's going to be coming up throughout the book of James, that James's vision of the Christian person is that they're not just lacking nothing, but there's a sense of perfection there. And that might raise some questions for us in the Reformed tradition. We've already said in our confession and assurance today, all have sinned, all have fallen short. None of us are perfect in that way. So if, if we understand James's use of perfection here as calling us into moral perfection, then none of us are able to do that. So he, he must be meaning something different. And for James... This language of perfection is about allowing us to live as God created us to be. Essentially, the perfect person is perfect in the way in which their actions and their thoughts are working together in unity. And we get a better sense of what this actually looks like when we look at other places in James. So James chapter 2, verse 22, he again, he repeats that theme of, of perfection, talking about Abraham. And he says, you see that his faith was working together with his works, and his faith was perfected by his works. The NIV, um, in both of those cases, chooses to translate perfection as maturity, as completion. Uh, And this captures the meaning that James has for us. James wants to communicate that that faith is incomplete, it is imperfect if it is lacking, if it's not not lived into. James will consistently challenge the notion that faith is something that can just simply be held within without actually acting and working through it. Faith is something that is brought into completion. It is made alive and real when it is expressed in our living James is actually adapting a very Jewish understanding of what faith is. If you look at the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, you will find that faith is something that needs to be lived out, particularly um, looking at the wisdom literature, looking at Proverbs and all of the words in how we are to live, but also um, in the prophets. So 
kind of to summarize here in verse 4, James gives this command for all of us to allow endurance to form us into people who are undivided and steadfast, to allow endurance to form us into people of integrity who are complete and conform to how God is calling us. So my challenge here for you is to not shortchange endurance. In a world where we want immediate results, where we are very adverse to any trial or challenge that may come our way, sometimes if we might assume that if these things are present, that something is, is wrong, maybe something is wrong with our faith. But in this, in this context, in our culture, we are to let endurance have its full effect so that you can be a person who does not lack. Now, now for, for those of us maybe kind of getting lost in the theory of it all, um, to, to bring it back to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or, or the James Club as they had a preference. These were people who were taking this challenge towards endurance. They were to let endurance have its perfecting effect even if that meant a long process with no easy way out. I think that that length of the process of that endurance calls us towards might have us reflecting what process of endurance may you be called into. The next exhortation we find in James is you should ask from the God who gives generously. So right on the heels of saying that you are to lack nothing, James gives this note, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Uh, Wisdom, it appears, is directly connected to endurance. Uh, The person, when given wisdom, will be able to work towards this completeness, and, and wisdom has to do with thoughts and action working in unity. Uh, Wisdom is about being undivided. Uh, This is particularly emphasized well when we look to verses 6 through 8. James has this to say. He gives a really visual image here. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Those who doubt should not think that they will receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded and unstable in all they do. First, in looking at that, I think it's important to note what James is not saying. Um, This is not a particular teaching on prayer uh, because I think this has actually led to some kind of toxic ideas about what prayer is. This can be a formula for kind of trying to understand all sorts of unanswered prayer. Just saying that if if God isn't answering the prayers in the way that you want, if God isn't maybe taking you directly out of your testing or your trial, then you must not believe strong enough. It's, it's, It's actually a byproduct of your doubt that you just, if you believed hard enough, God would just take away whatever challenge that you have in front of you. But that way of thinking not only disregards that first part of the passage that we looked at, but it also misconstrues what James is talking about in this immediate context. 
we need to keep in mind what it is that is given, and that is wisdom. Big circle around that one. This is not a promise that God will give us complete clarity on every decision that we make. This is not a promise that God will act on our every desire if we only believe it hard enough. The promise is that God gives wisdom, that God gives us the ability to discern how to live. Um, One commentator, I think, really helpfully summarizes this, saying, this is not an unqualified statement that everything we ask for will be given to us, but rather that we will receive the practical knowledge and understanding that we need to endure our trials when we ask the God whom we know gives without hesitation. And I think that's, that's the other important part in here. Uh, God is described in this passage as the one who gives generously, or another way of translating it could say, God is the one who gives without hesitation. And this is contrasted by the person who is always hesitating, always second-guessing who is really in charge. Uh, The person goes by two names in our passage. We have the one who doubts and also the one who is double-minded. In both cases, the, the emphasis is not on this kind of like existential doubt. It's not about an understanding of whether or not God exists. Uh, that's not the type of doubt that James is addressing here. Um, that actually wouldn't have been an issue in the ancient world. Uh, there was always an assumption that there was a God out there. The big issue was which God are you choosing? Which God are you following? I think a helpful uh, idea to introduce into this is the idea of idolatry. Are we holding something alongside God, or do we have singularity in our trust that our God, the God of Israel, is the one that will pull us through? The God who gives without hesitation is in contrast with this doubter or double-minded person. And in that emphasis, I think we need to see um, that, okay, the the biblical call here um, is pointing us back uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 has this, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength. There's this unity. The the whole of who you are is singularly uh, devoted to God. Half-hearted is not an option in Scripture. And in light of this, James brings this language of the double-minded person. He's already betrayed God. He's already leaning and depending on the idols alongside God here. They are not turning to God out of love and trust, but only one option in the midst of many. Uh, James gives this visual in the midst of this, of the the double-minded person. They are like waves in the sea, just getting tossed around. There's no solid foundation And James isn't even, the the word that he's using for waves isn't the kind that that crashes um, and you kind of can predict where it's going, uh, the one that you would surf on or something like that. That's not the type of wave. Instead, 
This is the swell of the sea, always changing its shape from moment to moment. The ultimate judgment here is in verse 8, that this this visual represents the double-minded person who is unstable in all they do. The people are unwilling to let go of the world and truly follow Christ. They're torn between sin and obedience. They're reluctant to let go of the pleasures of the world for the sake of discipleship. James here is giving a pretty tough challenge. He's confronting nominal Christianity, this this sense in which um, all we need to do uh, to be a Christian is attend church on Sundays or, or maybe read the Bible from time to time. Doing these things without letting it impact and direct our day-to-day living. But as we will see as James goes on, this is actually going to lead to some pretty strong statements regarding how we are con- to conduct ourselves or who we ought to be caring for. There's a lot that comes from this. I think a question that we can have, if if James has these strong statements against kind of just nominal Christianity, this living in a way that doesn't impact our, our daily living, we might ask ourselves, what pushes us out of that? What drives us into acting as people as of consistency? How might we achieve this? And looking back at our passage, we find that we don't achieve anything. Um, We are actually to come before God and ask God for that wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously without hesitation. Uh, We are people who are just completely dependent on God. We're reminded again and again that the good news of God's salvation is that it's not up to us. Uh, Later, near the end of our passage, James revisits generosity, stating, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Uh, Notice again, as, as James revisits that theme, he contrasts God to the divided person who's hesitating and changing. God does not change. God is not like the waves that are here one moment and gone another with no foundation. God has consistency and stability in his character. And that is good because God is good. God is this giver of every true and good and perfect gift. We might be reminded in this teaching of Jesus Uh, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount where he compares God to an earthly father. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We are to have the trust that God will give what is good. And specifically here, that God will give us the wisdom that we need to enter into the living that God calls us to. Now, to finish here, I want to finish with this reminder towards prayer. 
Uh, when James says that we need wisdom, he doesn't just say, well, then go read about it. Uh, go study and learn so that you can be wise people. James invites people into prayer towards the one who listens when we call upon him. If we are called into action in James, and especially this early part, we have this intentionality that the action that we are called to is to go on our knees. We are to start, to begin here, calling upon God to give us wisdom. We are to call upon God to give us what we need to respond to the single-minded love of God with our whole heart, our whole strength. If we are to be brought into wholeness, if we are brought into a life where our faith and actions run consistently, it is through the Holy Spirit working in us with our eyes fixed on Jesus. So with that reminder, let's come before God in prayer. Dear Lord, giver of every good and perfect gift, may we be people of endurance. May the trials and tests that we find draw us into hope, filled in trust in you. May, may we cling to you in a way that does not have us turn in despair, but that we actually have a more firm steadfastness to be your people. When we lack wisdom, give us what we need in the unhesitating way that you give. Help us to see how every good and perfect gift comes from you. Keep us from trying to depend on our own strength or our own attempts towards reaching perfection through our own thoughts and ideas. Help us to act in consistency, showing love and compassion to the poor, humbling ourselves before others, and displaying a wholehearted trust in you through trials that come our way. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.